0: Welcome to More About Officership, an open and honest discussion about officership in Australia. As we move towards One Australia Territory, Post Captain Matt Reed is joined by officers from across the country to discuss the challenges and rewards of being an officer today.
1: Welcome back to another uh, episode of the
0: Candidates Podcast. If you are listening for the first time, welcome aboard. If it's if you've come back, uh, welcome back. Uh, just a couple of things I want to make you aware of before we get going. Right across the nation at this time we have a series of Come Alive events. You would have seen through your core, hopefully, uh, some material just promoting uh, officership and some leadership stuff within your core. So if you want to go to our Facebook page, which is uh, the Cell... Self- Salvation Army Australia candidates. Um, have a look there. There's all the details there. If you want to register for an event, uh, you can register um, or make contact with your local officer recruitment uh, person. That would be really good. And if you haven't subscribed to uh, our iTunes account, then please go to More About Officership and sign up today. Well, today, uh, I'm really excited, actually, because I'm meeting someone new, and i um, He's been dobbed in by his wife uh, from Queensland uh, and it's my privilege to welcome uh, Major Dion Oliver. Uh, welcome to you. Thank you, Matt. Really appreciate being here. It's a privilege. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's, uh, you're here for Bringle which I am, is in yes, Melbourne so, yes. or down at Geelong, so you're off this afternoon. So it, it was great that we could sort of slot this in yeah, In the yeah, middle. Yeah, yeah. Dion, I, I don't really know you, mm-hmm. to be honest. I know your wife because I work with your wife, uh, Michelle, Um, But could you start by
1: just telling us a little bit about who you are? Sure. Um, I grew up in South Africa, Cape Town, South Africa, beautiful city. (laughs) I spent the first 25 years of my life there. Um, But I'm also currently, I'm married for 19 years to my wife, Michelle, who dubbed me in. (laughs) And we have three children. We have Caleb, who's 17, soon to be 18. We have Giselle, who's 16, and Liam, who's 13. Yeah,
0: right. Okay.
1: What was it like growing up in South Africa? Interesting, uh, challenging, uh, also very um, affirming. I think a word that I used to describe my season in South Africa would be um, God is my sustainer. You know, um, life circumstances were not quite were not ideal. Um, family situation was very tumultuous, but always I was aware that God had a plan for my life. You know, I always knew that he was looking out for me, that inner knowing, that awareness. And that really sustained me um, in South Africa. Growing up in South Africa, it was during the apartheid era. Mm. So dealing with that, not only for myself as a colored uh, biracial, um, but also the impact that it has on generations, like my grandparents, my parents and relatives you know so it was around you couldn't you couldn't escape that a fact that you are less than or regarded as less than. Mm-hmm. And so that messes with you as a person and discovering who you are apart from that. Uh, to be honest, even now, it's still something that I'm aware of and it's a conscious decision that I need to make to say, actually, no, that's not true. What is true? Um, God is true, truth, uh, you know, and and choose choose to walk the path and choose to not... Um, hear what others say I am, but choose I am who he says I am. You know, he is who he says
0: he is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's obviously a really, I mean, there's 25 years, a lot would have happened in that 25 years. And, And even as you say now, there's stuff that you remember
1: quite fondly. Why did you leave South Africa? This, is, this was really part of God's plan for me. I knew that I would not remain in my city. I knew that God had a plan for me beyond my neighborhood, beyond my street. And so I postured myself. I was always aware that, looking, saying, where is God at work? What is God calling me to do? What's the next step? So anytime an opportunity came, I took hold of it. And so it happened that we had a U.S. officer at our uh, uh, coming in on exchange to South Africa, he returned back to the US and then became DYS and invited me to come over and do summer camp there. You know, ah, oh, the old summer camp. I trick. tell you, yes, yes. How yes. long? How many camps did you do? Um, I started out in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That was my my first in 1995. And really during that year, um, at the end of the summer, the D.C. came and the DYS said, why don't you train and go to training college here in the U.S.? I said, no, thanks, because it really was not um, what I had in, on my my plans. Mm. And I returned home. And once I returned home, the family said, oh, take the opportunity. My brother and sister released me and said, go, because at that time our parents had passed. So my primary reason for saying no and uh, declining that opportunity was to care for them. But when I returned home, they said, "No, this is this is your time. It's time you know? to go." Yeah. So you trained in America? Yes. Yes. Okay. What was Chicago's that? Like? Central Chicago Central Territory. <laughs> <laughs> loved it. You know, really, really loved it. I really thank God for His favor upon me, so that mm. they they saw me at that summer camp, a yeah, little guy from Silvertown, Cape Town, and. um saw something within me and pre- opened a door for me. And really during my season, both as, while well, being in training college and then other opportunities came and that's how I met Michelle when she was in Canada and, yeah. She, so, she wasn't doing a camp as well, was she? No, no, no. no. Okay. She was on the other side <laughs> there. But it's just God, God's plan for us to meet and for our lives to intersect. Yeah. So, yeah, just... Uh, Really, for me, the season in the US, I'd say like as South Africa would be God sustaining me. It was a a period of favor, you know, a a period of experiencing the abundance and the bounty of God that he lavishly pours upon you.
0: Yeah. So how many years, sorry, how many years did you do in... 15 years in the US. Okay. What sort of appointments did you do over there? So we started
1: out... um, Oh, so you got married. Where did you get married? Yeah, actually, my training and no, after... The week after? Two weeks after. (laughs) <laughs> after, yeah, I, I met Michelle. It's very interesting. In twenty, in I turned twenty-seven in October, and I remember praying to God and saying, "God, I'm twenty-seven. I'm ready to get to find my my partner. I'm ready to get married and settle down." And by the end of of October the thirtieth, so less than a week um, later. Uh, I received an email from a relative saying, oh, you should meet my core officer. You know, (laughs) a new core officer, she's from Australia, trying to match us, put us together. But um, so while I was in training, I then met Michelle. That Christmas, I went back, but prior. Between October and December, we started communicating those two months. So when I went to Canada in in December, we already knew that God has put placed us together, which was mm. a good thing because I'm, to be honest, I don't think I would have chosen a tall Aussie to be my wife, <laughs> uh, to be quite honest, you know. But God knew he had to remove those factors <clears throat> in order for me to see and for us to connect deeply, yeah. you know. So. Michelle's
0: from Australia, you're yes. from South Africa. Yes. You trained in the US. In the US, US, yeah. And you've been to Canada.
1: Yes, got married in Canada. Got married in Canada. Yes. And then we were, our first appointment was back in the US, mm. Iowa City, Iowa as the core officers. We were uh-huh. there for four years. And then we went to Springfield, Illinois for three years. And then from there we went to the training college. We were on staff there. Oh, yeah. And then from training college we went to the Eastern Michigan Division as DYSs. Okay, and then somehow you ended up back in Australia. Yeah, we actually asked the Salvation Army to, we, we committed to be in the US for five years um, post our, our marriage. And then we, we asked to return to come to Australia because this is where family is mm-hmm. and connections are. And the kids, we wanted them to get to know their, their relatives, you know, their mm. cousins. But every year we applied and took probably about um, nine years for the Salvation Army to say yes. Will we'll release you to go. That's a pretty quick turnaround, um, isn't it? Really. <laughs> <laughs> but they knew, not that we did, but they knew that once we'd be released, once we go, we wouldn't be you coming, wouldn't coming back, back. You know. So, fortunately. Uh, their generosity was really pouring into us, knowing that we would go. They still invested in us and that's really God's favour and their wisdom to say this is not just about the US, this is about God's kingdom, yeah. you know, so let us pour into these young officers and bless them. Yeah. Well, you're part of the Salvation Army in South Africa? In South Africa, yeah. Can
0: you tell us a little bit what what the army was like there back then and maybe even now if you've got any knowledge of that and even in the US because I'm assuming that while we're all under the same flag they probably express themselves somewhat differently.
1: Yes, yes. The Salvation Army in South Africa was a Salvation Army that struggled immensely. Um, Poverty is rife. the challenges that we face as a Salvation Army to respond to the plight and the immediate needs of people—that is, those needs that are very apparent—homelessness, um, of course, means homelessness here too. Mm. But it's—you could not turn away from. It was—it's a developing country, so there was a shortage of officers, shortage of resources, so everything was really, really had to work. Hard for a lot of officers would have two or three appointments. They would walk everywhere. There was no vehicle available to them. So sometimes you would not receive an income. You know, so it was definitely a life of sacrifice, and 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 making do with as little with little. You mm-hmm. know, and making it last. So that was the South Africa, and 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 regardless of that. I felt strongly that God has called me to serve as a Salvation Army officer, and I knew that He would provide. I knew that the need was great, and it was a sacred calling um, on my life. Then returning, so that was a season where God sustained me and and nurtured me. And yet, in the U.S., when for that season in the U.S. was really the Salvation Army. exciting. It was uh, my session and sessions around us. We're 32, 34, 40, you know, so uh, young people going into training college, 18, 19 years old. There was generational, you know, you'd be a third or fourth generation officer. Um, (laughs) Like a family business. You know, (laughs) yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, And it was good. It was immense opportunity of course there were challenges for the salvation army how to remain relevant mm. and, and, de- and 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 in an affluent salvation army how to remain, remain relevant um, churches were small but our community expressions were large like for example on average you'd have core with 20 people but you'd have a budget of 4 5 million dollars you know in that core and you have to you know make it work of course financially with the with the um bell ringing you know you raise mm. over a six-week period in the Christmas time, you know. So very different from a Salvation Army that is under-resourced in in South Africa to one that has an abundance of resources there. Um, Yeah, and then coming to Australia, as you said, you know, in Australia, it is... even though Australia and South Africa and the U.S. is one flag, it's very different the way we express ourselves. I found, actually, Michelle and I both found the Salvation Army in the U.S. to be uh, systems and processes were figured out. You know where you fit in. In fact, for Michelle and I, we knew what the next step was, what the, the pathway was for us in, in in leadership, the track we were on. Uh, We knew that in in the Salvation Army in the US also, there were minimum standards or minimum uh, essentials that we needed to have in every corps. You had to have wounds programming, you had to have junior soldiers, those things. And so when we came to Australia, that was one of the difficult things because no corps was the same. And while that is good to be individual, there was also something lost because you came to a country and you really didn't know what what was right, and you had to figure it out, you know. And you don't know the questions to ask, and you know, once you come in. Um, But it was, I think, what I love about Australia, which was not in the U.S., um, the opportunity and the the room to innovate, to make something happen, you know, to to roll up your sleeves and get on with it type of thing, Mm -hmm. which was not so readily available in the U.S.,
0: so you, then you came back to Australia. You went to a core. Did you go yes. back into core work here?
1: Yes. Yeah. We uh, when we arrived in Australia, we our first appointment here was Stafford. Mm-hmm. Stafford on, on, in Queensland, in Brisbane, and loved it. It was uh, six years there, very traditional core um, with with band. Uh, we didn't have songs at that time, but it was a merging of two core, the Albion core that a lot of people know of, mm-hmm. and the Mitchelton, and both of those closed, and Stafford was established.
0: Yeah. Okay. When you, you said, sorry, I'm backtracking mm-hmm. a little bit. That's sort of way my mind when it works, how it works. But you said in the US there was these large community expressions but the worship community was very small. Why do you think that is? Why don't people want to worship with us?
1: Well, I think that we, we struggle as a Salvation Army to straddle the line between service and a worshipping community, mm. because remember, we receive a significant amount of, of government funding, um, whether it's for our ARC, our rehab centres, mm. for our community expressions, you know, tax Exempt status, so that is really all people know. They all, a, a lot of people know that we are open. That we even in our in our first core, we had a homeless um, food kitchen seven days a week. In our last, in 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 um, Springfield, we have a homeless shelter in the basement of our core. You know, so we had thirty-five mm-hmm. people there every day, and a staff of about twenty-five people. You know, so mm-hmm. the social expressions of the of the the Salvation Army they were vast, and they. they They were extensive and they were significant. Um, Why? Your question was why do people not want to worship with us? I think maybe because we were not very clear about why we do what we do. You know, we were focused on doing it and maybe didn't do that good a job at explaining the why.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That's just my curiosity at work there um, because I think it's not that dissimilar in Australia. In lots of ways, there's mm. lots of people that are around us and and sort of with us and for us. Um, but when we come together for worship, and I'm not saying that that's the the ultimate aim for everyone to come into Sunday worship. I don't think that at all. But I'm just curious that is it seems to be a consistent thing mm. across the army that we we do serve so well. Mm. Um, mm. But yet when we maybe we're just so exhausted by the time the weekend comes around, mm. I, I don't know. It's uh, it's fascinating to
1: me. What are you doing now? I am this. Uh, be, the beginning of this year, I started as um, personnel secretary, divisional personnel secretary, working with Sandra Godkin. Oh yes, yep. And then also I do um, generous life. I'm a generous life coach for Queensland, and I actually like what I'm doing right now. Sorry, so generous life for yeah, for, for those for, mm-hmm. in in the south would be like plan giving. Yes, plan yep. giving. Okay. Yes. Yep. So what I like about what I do, and I had to think about, okay, how do these two fit together? But Mm. for me, it's really about stewardship, uh, whether it's a stewardship of our officers in the personnel department going and, and checking in and ensuring that they are um, resource supported, that they are heard. Because I don't believe that an officer can speak or, or we cannot speak of that which we do not know. Mm. So if, if an officer is depleted or barely holding it together, how on earth can they on Sunday stand in front of the people and say, welcome, and I want to introduce you to a God of abundance, you know? And so we as a Salvation Army need to be stewards of those live of the officers, and ensure and explore how do we best support them so they can flourish yeah. so that for me is stewardship of officers personnel and then stewardship of resources the, the plan giving is a stewardship of resources and not just the financial, but also the stewardship of the people coming in to our core. So we, as leaders, have to steward these lives. Really, so in the end, it's about all of life stewardship—not only time and talents and treasure, which is are the three T's that we usually use—but also the 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 um, stewardship of our of our temple, the bodies. Also stewardship of our testimony, stewardship of our scripture of the word, stewardship all of life stewardship, you know? Mm. And I think that's very important for us because uh, we are going to call to account for the people that come into our places. Do we leave them better off than what they were, whether it's a cadet coming to training college, whether it's an officer serving out in... What is that place that I, uh, you know, some outback Australia (laughs) that I haven't been yet, which I'm looking forward to checking out. But, you know, it's about stewarding the lives of these officers so that we can say uh, we have been faithful. They've been entrusted to us for a season and we have done our best to empower, resource them and create spaces for them to flourish.
0: Yeah. So you get to deal with a lot of officers, obviously, and personnel. um, And and in... Generous life and generous life. Yes. What, what do you think for for a lot of people, in terms of ministry, what do you think are the are the things that people sort of um, you know when when all is said and done, what is done? what What are the things that people come into ministry for? now, and the the reason I ask that is that you know in the context of of this conversation and the the podcast, people exploring ministry, like why do why do people do ministry and because you're in in the role you're in you would talk to more officers than anyone I would imagine why do people still put their boots on every morning uh, and and go to work as a salvation army officer
1: yeah i think it's because um we all know and we can see that brokenness abounds and god we know it's not the way it should be we know that the enemy tells lies and Constantly people receive message, messages of being inferior, being less than. And so God has created within us a desire to be, uh, to make a difference, to, to give hope. Um, where circumstances appear hopeless. So why do people get up and do that? Because they feel a greater and a higher calling to respond to the needs of of the broken um, Mm -hmm. in our communities. They want to make a difference. They want to be change agents. And to be honest, you know, it's a struggle for a number of officers especially when there's issues of resources or where they feel under-resourced or they themselves feel somewhat depleted or they've been doing the hard yards for X number of years, maybe don't feel heard, maybe don't feel supported. Maybe they've been in that community for a long time and things aren't quite working out the way they would like for it to. Mm. But yes, I believe that it is about the desire of every officer, the every person, a believer to say things can be different. I believe there is more. Mm. Just as we sort of we finish, um, I want to go back to the start when you
0: you mentioned that you are invited to a camp and someone said, oh, have you ever thought about training for, to be an officer? Did you always know you were going to be an officer? Did you feel that, that that was part of God's plan? I know that you talked about, you know, family in South Africa and some of the you know, hesitation with that. But did you always know that one day... That was what God was calling to you.
1: I didn't always know, no. I knew that, as I said, I knew that God had a plan, that he set me apart for something, but I didn't know what that was. It was probably in my teen years when I grappled with that a little, I prayed and fasted and said, God, what is your will? I need to know. I need to know mm. why I exist. Um, it became clear then whether it was through core offices that invested in me, that spoke life into me. Um, so that picture became clear, but initially it was really the awareness that God had a plan for me that was bigger than my environment and mm. bigger than my circumstances. What would you say to people who are
0: exploring ministry? whether If, if they're wrestling with this notion that God is calling them to something else, as a word of encouragement to people who sort of listen in, what would you say to
1: them? I would encourage them to explore the avenue of officership. I do believe that God, if if you see there's a need out there, we respond not only to the need, but we resp- and and that our response. Okay, let me take let me take back. That's all right. Yep. Do you
0: want me to ask the question again.
1: No, that, that's all right. I believe that God has created us all for a purpose. I believe that God has created a desire within all of us to see better, to restore, to create freedom. And I believe the Salvation Army is an amazing vehicle through which we can do that, through which we can be serve as change agents. So if, if an individual is exploring what the future might look like for them and whether it includes officership or not, I would say the Salvation Army is a wonderful way in which to explore that yeah. and there are numerous pathways at present for people to do to do that. Yep. And not to be afraid, you know, we we serve a God of abundance. He's no man's debtor. He's not attempting to trick anyone into doing something that they don't want to do when we step into God's path and and into into his will for our lives. It's only good. It is only favor. It is only his love and, he, and hope that is made available through us and to us, to the world. Yeah, that's great. Just We're doing these Come Alive events um,
0: and, and this is the question we're asking people to explore, whether it's in local leadership uh, as a Salvation Army officer, ex lieutenant, or uh, even just leadership in the local corps. And while we're at it, I'm, I might give a plug to Michelle's event. <laughs> so on the uh, 6th of September uh, this year, um, we're meeting at the Stafford Corps Uh, for Mm. a Come Alive event. So if you'd like to to register, um, you can go on to selvos.org.au forward slash Come Alive, register for the event, or Chase Up Michelle, um, Mm. and uh, she'll give you more information. What makes you come alive in ministry?
1: Mm. I come alive when I have the opportunity to speak into the lives of someone. There's a a saying someone said, I don't know who it was, that said um, the... The purpose of a platform is realized when you're able to bring someone onto it. Um, For me, Mm -hmm. I delight in the privilege of coming alongside someone and elevating, providing a hand up for them, whether it's leadership development, which I'm really passionate about, but investing in someone and somehow leaving them higher, better off maybe than what I am, but giving them room, space to accomplish and achieve and be all that God has created them to be.
0: Well, that's that's great. Look, it's been a really good opportunity for me to chat with you. I think <laughs> thank you, you Matt. You're, I wish you could see because you're very animated, and you—I reckon you could light up a pulpit in no no trouble at all. <laughs> uh, it's thank been you. good. I just I just want to say thanks for uh, taking the time to kind of chat with us, no, and you. to those that listen. And if you've got any questions or comments, you can leave them on the Facebook page, and Dion's available. And Like you said, you love developing leaders, so uh, if people have questions. About that, you're off to Bringle now
1: yes. uh, this afternoon. So yes, looking forward to uh, focus, having time apart, but also um, working on the inner life. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, contemplative rhythms, Sabbath yeah. rhythms in my life. I'm looking forward to the. I, I, it's not something that one necessarily chooses, but um, when you go into um, th- that path and and pursuing and listening, it's so yeah. so life giving. You know, so you become aware. Mm, yeah. mm, you, you see, you see, yeah, see with new eyes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Guys, if you've got any uh, questions or comments, you can leave them on the, the Facebook page. Or you can send me an email matt.reave at au.salvationarmy.org. Uh, just a reminder to register for those come alive events. They're right across the country. So um, there's one that will be close by to you. Um, look forward to catching up with you next time. Uh, stay safe. Bye. Thanks for joining us for more about Officership. You can join the conversation at facebook.com forward slash SA Candidates Australia. If you want to explore Officership further, please speak to your local Corps Officer or Candidate Secretary. The Salvation Army needs more leaders. Is God asking for more of you?